the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Oh, hi, this is Carolyn Elephant. I am the owner of a law firm. I'm blogger at myshingle.com and author of the book, Solo by Choice. And I'm happy to be a guest on the Maximal Lawyer podcast. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, in my mind, there are two people who have been at the forefront of solo entrepreneurship, solo law firms, and running your own law firm. And we have one of them with us today. Very excited to have Carolyn with us. I'm 99% sure that when you and I met in the class that I taught at the law school, that we used some things off myshingle.com for your class as I taught people how to run a law firm. Excellent. I have no doubt. I have no doubt because I used to go, you were just telling Carolyn before we started that and you, we want to talk about it on the show and about use, uh, going to myshingle.com. I remember I did whenever I started my practice. One of the books that I read was My Shingle. I think I get the name of that wrong, but I do remember reading it. The uh, But before we get to all of that, I guess we need to introduce who our guest is for a moment because I think people, they probably know who the hell we're talking about. But I, let me do a brief bio. You know what? Screw this. I'm not going to do a bio today, Jimmy. I think everyone knows who the hell she is. We have Carolyn Elephant on the show. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. Thanks a lot. So back in those dark days of the early internet, I mean, that, technologically, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you even thought to start a blog. But, and, you know, back then, I think they still called them, you know, web pages or whatever. So talk to us a little bit about your story as an attorney and then how you got into the blog. So right before I got married, my husband and I were in his office. We we're supposed to be sending out wedding invitations, but this thing he had just discovered was called the World Wide Web and he wanted to show it to me. So instead of sending out, printing out the invitations, we spent the afternoon looking at it and it was so cool. And I thought, what if I could have a website like these other sites that I saw. And so I learned how to build a site in HTML and you had to like upload it with some file transfer protocol. My husband was good at the back end stuff. He didn't know anything about HTML or the design stuff, which is what I figured out. So I had a website up in like 1994, 1995. And then I had wanted to start a website on everything for solo and small firm practitioners, kind of like 
the toiletpaper.com or the pets.com sites, which were before their time because they all failed. And now we have sites like that. I didn't have enough technology to do that. I went on the site called Elance, which is now Upwork. And I found some developer in the Ukraine, but he put something together that looked awful. So again, my husband um, was very tech savvy and he discovered a site called Slashdot, which had open source code that would allow you to set up something that's the equivalent of a blog today. And even back then it was really robust. So he set up the back end. I learned how to use this software and I started this site for Solos and Smalls as a blog. And it was at the same time that a lot of other lawyers were starting to come online, like Ernie the Attorney, Bob Ambrosi, um, Howard Bashman, How Appealing. And so my shingle became part of this early movement of bloggers. But um, unfortunately, it was a little too early because I didn't have, I mean, I have like eight readers. That That's it. That's my beautiful slash code based blog. And you could see it was so cool. Back then, like it had RSS feed and it had the ability for people to send comments that would automatically render as a post. So when people were like bragging on WordPress, like a decade later and saying, this is so cool. I was like, you know, they kind of have that back 10 years ago, it was, you know, it's easier to use with WordPress, but yeah, it had, it had all those cool features. So that's how it got its humble beginnings. That is so wonderful for our listeners. Jim pulled up the Wayback Machine and went to the original website. I have never seen that. That's, that's really <laughs> cool. The, I, I saw was probably the second iteration or maybe even the third iteration. I don't, I, I remember seeing it was more of a yellowish or orangish theme. You're now, your yes. current one's more blue, a lot more uh. blue. So you've definitely changed it up quite a bit, but that's, uh, it's really cool. I'm going to go back to the Wayback Machine and look at that mm-hmm. one. Uh, really interesting. But I want to ask you, I guess, a more deeper question about this. Why do all this? This is so much work. So why did you start doing this, start helping people start their law firms? So I started because I didn't, at the time that I started, I didn't think there was enough material out there to encourage people to pursue entrepreneurship. And I saw the benefits um, as somebody who, I started my firm as uh, a married person, but then I had kids and I saw the benefits of the flexibility that you could have with running your own firm. At that time, the only options for women were either you know, working full time at big law and having nannies and daycares or else leaving the law entirely. And I was kind of out there in the middle by myself and everybody on both sides really wanted to be where I was at. And they didn't realize that there was this option staring them in front of the face that could allow them to get there. And the other thing was, is it just seemed like a good way to jumpstart or to shortcut or to catapult, move ahead in your career. And there was even, even the books that talked about starting a practice like Foonberg. And there is an early interview. Foonberg let me interview him for my shingle site. It was very short. And even a book like that, which is very comprehensive, it had so many rules and those rules didn't apply to everybody. And, you know, lawyers, when lawyers get a set of rules that says to do something a certain way, if it doesn't fit for them, they think it's not right for them. I wanted to show that there are a million different ways to start law firms and to be different and to pursue and use your talents in different ways. And there just wasn't a voice that was speaking to that. And so that's the reason that I started the blog and also wrote the book. Carolyn, I'm often encouraging people to get onto YouTube and they come back and they say, Jim, I've been trying it for a week or two and I'm not getting much feedback. I would love to hear after you started your blog 
Like, what was it like? How much time was there before you started hearing back? What kind of a reaction did you have when a real person replied <laughs> to your content? And, and what words of wisdom do you have for people who are doing basically what you did, break into a new channel? Back then, there weren't channels. It was just the internet. But you know what I mean? So I guess I had been blogging for for a couple of months and Dennis Kennedy, who was well known in the legal tech space, he held up my blog as an example of like the perfect blog. It had content, it had, you know, news, it was gave an opinion, um, had a perspective. So that, that gave me about 20 more, <laughs> 20 more visitors. And then a year and a half later, law.com had started this affiliate program and they made my blog an affiliate, but that didn't bring that much traffic either. So I think, and over time, the traffic grew. I think it was so far ahead of the curve. Sometimes when you're so far out in front, it just takes a while for people to catch up. And I think the trick there is not to give up too soon. And the story of my career is giving up too soon. When I say giving up too soon, it's like leaving a practice area after 10 years and then like 13 or 15 years later, it turns into something. But the other thing is, is if you love what you're doing, if you love what you're teaching on YouTube or sharing, if you love what you're writing, you don't really care how many listeners are out there. And for at least the first many, many years of my blog, just when I had something to say, just sitting down at the keyboard and writing it and putting it out into the universe, it just gave me such a release. And it just felt so good that I didn't really care if there were people reading it or not. And the other thing is, is there's also people who are sort of silent listeners or silent viewers. And, you know, even though you might not necessarily see a lot of views on YouTube. YouTube videos get shared in other channels and it's possible there's more people seeing it and there's a bigger audience. But if you love doing it and what you're presenting out there, then keep doing it because I find that there's usually a correlation between your passion and excitement for something and how important it is to you and, and the success that you will have at it. If there's a person that sort of is more in the shadows, but touches so many more people than what people realize it. It's Dennis Kennedy. Like he has, he has such an effect on so many different people. And he's, he's kind of a quiet guy and kind of works in the shadows. I, I really, I really like Dennis Kennedy. He's great. Um, but I want to ask you about, it seems to me like over the last, I've been practicing for 12 years, over the last 12 years, things have changed drastically. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Is that the case? You've been sort of doing this for since the nineties, right. And you've, you've been able to see how things have evolved in the law. And when it comes to running a law practice, have they changed or they, have they stayed the same? What are your thoughts on if they have changed, just, is it going in the right direction, wrong direction? I just want to get your general thoughts about that. So things have definitely changed and changed for the better. I mean, technology has made it so much easier and so much cheaper to start a firm almost without thinking about it. And whether you believe that's the best way to start or not, you know, whether you should have everything set up and your ducks in the row or just go out on a flyer and, you know, start it in a month. I mean, that's personal preference, but at least that option is available. I mean, when I started, you know, Lexus costs like $600 a month for a dozen searches. I had to like go into the public defender library to use the portal there. I mean, and you know, this was a long time ago. $600 then is like, you know, $1,500 now. I mean, there's free legal research at, research available. Setting up a website is easy. If you don't want to set up a website, set something up on LinkedIn. It's completely free. Anybody can use it. There's so many ways to get your ideas out to 
attract a broader audience of people. And that is all, in my view, for the better, 100%. I mean, for lawyers who say, you know, who wish things were the way they were before, they think that people are being, um, you know, not being thoughtful enough about starting a firm. I mean, that's that's not the case. I mean, there's just so many people who are able to do it. So those are things that have changed. The one thing that stayed the same, unfortunately, I think, is still the perception of solo and small farm practice and the opportunities it provides. And this is true, especially for women. Every single year, the ABA comes out with a report, glass ceilings at big law. Women aren't advancing. What are we going to do? The number of people who work at big law is such a tiny percentage. If you ask people in the real world, like if they've heard of Johnny Cochran, who was a law firm owner, or, you know, Joe Smith, partner at Skadden, you know, they, they don't even know what Skadden Arps is. So there has to be more respect in the profession for this desire to own and to build and to start firms. And I think there also has to be a greater recognition for the role that ownership plays in moving the profession forward, advancing diversity and creating new practice areas and, and also advancing innovation. I don't think that the profession really looks at the solo and small firm world as contributing to that. They still see souls and smalls as the bottom feeders, the unfortunates, the people who couldn't find the job. And that's just so out of line with how entrepreneurship is viewed in any other sector. And so as as long as those attitudes are there, I, I've thought about hanging it up and not writing anymore, but that just, it just even after all this time, that just drives me crazy, drives me crazy. <laughs> it's an excellent point. And it's something that I'm gonna go back and think about. One of the other things that I think you did with your blog and we've done with our Facebook group is sometimes you sort of tap into the loneliness of running a law firm, like building something like you were talking about is hard. Like what we're doing is hard. Like it might be easier to just go work for a big firm and, and mindlessly work for other people. Like we have to improvise and think about a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I think your blog and your books offered connectedness to, to people and, and I think you sort of created a safe space for people to say, this is hard. This is not easy. Like this is, and there's lots of facets to it. It's not just practicing law. That practicing law might be the easiest part of it all. So can you talk a little bit about that, Carolyn? Yeah. So that's also something that I really thought that there was a void for, and maybe less so now because there are communities like Maximum Lawyer and other online Facebook communities where people can share. Although I find that sometimes the sharing is not always 100% authentic. It's always very fair weather sharing. Nobody's going to share about the day that they lost a big case or they forgot to site check <laughs> an outdated case. But yeah, I always felt that it was important to show both sides of solo and small firm practice and to acknowledge that there were people who maybe were struggling. I mean, I know it's important, you know, and especially in marketing things today, you always want to be aspirational, show the transformation show, you know, one day I was a penniless law student today, I have this empire, you know, 15 person empire, and you never show like what it took to get from square one to square A to square B, or even, you know, what some of the obstacles are. And I think it's important for people to know that they do exist so that they don't feel alone and so that they don't feel, you know, defective or, or question their abilities or think that it's just them. Because if you have those, if you start thinking like that, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and then it becomes harder to, to move yourself forward. So I always do try to share that. And I also try to be very encouraging because there's so many people in our profession who are all too keen to knock down somebody who wants to start a firm or to say, you know, or to, to be critical of them when they're, when they're starting or to point out 
you know, all of the rough stuff. So I tried to take the right balance between being encouraging, but also acknowledging that it's hard and things can go the wrong way and you could be doing the best job you can and still get hit with some stupid ethics violation for, you know, taking two pennies out of your trust account and, and lose your law license at the end of a career. I mean, that's just vindictive. That's, that's disgusting. So I try, write about that because I don't think it should happen anymore, but also because, you know, there are other people who may have similar issues. That's great. I think as a profession, we need to do a much better job of that. So I'm glad you do. But let me, uh, I want to ask you about something. Jim and I, um, we'll sometimes talk about how law used to be like back in like the 70s, 80s. And Jim <laughs> wanted to do this skit. We never did it. He wanted to do this skit at the conference where, you know, we were all like around this old law office with like typewriters and like, like just like set up the old setup. Right. And I can't even tell you what it would look like because I, I didn't live then, but it, it was just to show how different it is and how everything now is on this device in my pocket, right? The cell phone and how it, it's really, it is much easier like you were talking about. But I want to ask you a question about What's some advice that you would have given in the 90s that is no longer good advice? Let's see. Um, and I know that's a tough one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to filibuster for a second uh, to give you because I know that's not an easy one. But I'm, I'm really curious to hear, like, what was something in the 90s that you'd be like, okay, this is what you need to do. And then now it's like, man, maybe not so much. Yeah. So I'm trying to think about that just because I try to be careful, like, if I hop on a trend or something, like, I know you know, I guess like about 10 or 12 years ago, a lot of people were saying, oh, Groupon is the place to be. Join Groupon and sell your services there. And I was sort of like, you know, yeah, it gets your work out there, but is it really the best business model? I was, and you know, people thought I was like a Luddite. Here I am criticizing Groupon, this new thing that lawyers can do. But like, you know, a lot of vendors have realized that Groupon can be problematic. So I guess with advice, I usually try not to hop onto trends too much. But I mean, I guess, you know, one of the things that might not be good advice anymore is just meeting people for lunch. I mean, lunch dates, you know, used to be sort of the focal point. If you were working downtown, you would meet up with people, you would maybe even have an expense account lunch. And, you know, while it's still enjoyable, it really can't be the mainstay of your practice because a lot of people aren't eating lunch. A lot of people have flexible schedules post pandemic. Now we're, you know, meeting with people online. So I think, you know, that book, there was that book, Why I Never Eat Lunch Alone, or like monthly, daily lunch dates or something like that. That advice probably doesn't go so far. And I would go so far as to say as some people are kind of annoyed about even having to take like two hours out of their day to meet somebody for lunch. They much rather meet for coffee or a drink if they're meeting in person. So I think that would be the, the thing. And, and, and while in the 90s, I told people to go to lunch, I, mean, I actually still told them meet, you know, do breakfast or invite a bunch of people to your office and have like 10 people at your office and feed them all sandwiches or something instead of like these one on one lunches, which aren't efficient. But I think that's one piece of advice that doesn't really hold up very much in most places. I love that. It's funny. I, Jim, I don't know what you, what you think about this. Like that kind of blew my mind because the advice that I still hear people say is take someone out to lunch every single day. I hear it all the time. And I'm like you, Carolyn, I kind of don't like being invited to lunch. I want to, I want to get, get my work done. You know, it's just it's so inefficient. Running your own practice can be scary. Whether you're worried about where the next case will come from, feeling like you're losing control over your growing firm or frustrated from being out of touch with everyone working under your license, the stress can be overwhelming. We will show you how to turn that fear into a driving force of clarity, focus, stability, and confidence that eliminates the roller coaster of guilt-ridden second-guessing 
and mistake-making to get you off that hamster wheel for good. Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time is a step-by-step playbook that shows you how to identify what your firm needs and how to proactively get it at every stage of the game so you are prepped and excited for the inevitable growth that will follow. Name the lifestyle that you want and we'll show you how to become a Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. Find out more by going to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash course. You're listening to the Maximum Lawyer podcast. Our guest today, Carolyn Elephant, she's the author of Solo by Choice. Carolyn, every time I hear you talk, and I'm glad to hear it, you, you are always referencing the position of women in the law community. And I think that the point you made about big law and women is a good one. I'm wondering, how do you view solo practice as a real equalizer for women or a nice option for female attorneys? So I think I've looked at solo practice for women in a bunch of different ways. When I started my firm, I mean, I always say I started solo because I it was the best opportunity because I'd been laid out from a job and I stayed solo because I had kids. And I often looked at solo or small firm practice as a placeholder or a way to like keep your foot in the door. But my view of it has changed. I now look at it as an opportunity to build and really create something new that can be transformative. There's this article or this there was this meme like going around about the sprinter Allison Felix, one of the most decorated Olympians who had been working with Nike. And when she became pregnant, they booted her and then they took her back and they reduced her pay. And, you know, she was finally like, screw it. She started her own sneaker company that developed sneakers specifically for women. And, you know, of course, Nike would gladly have her back. But she by doing that, she has created this this new thing in the world that serves a different audience that she as a black woman is the head of, which is something she would have never been able to advance to in Nike. And it wouldn't be able to say it's her own company. So I think that solo and small farm practice for women is not just an opportunity to continue your career, but it's an opportunity to to change and transform the profession by creating law firms that are family friendly, creating law firms that serve other women in a way that women owners can understand or connect with, and ultimately to transform the profession. I mean, I've, I've always heard that, you know, big law is like sort of a structure started by white men designed for white men to succeed at. And I think if we're going to see real change in the profession, we need to have different places where women can work and where women can advance and where we can serve things. So I just see it as like all its opportunity and its innovation. And I think that there really needs to be more focus and more research, more research on how women-owned firms have contributed to diversity or in the legal profession. Well, let's stay on this uh, for a moment. What would your advice be to women, young women now starting their firms and how can they capture their voice and get it out there and really have that thing that you're talking about, like when it comes to like starting your own shoe company, but like when it comes to a law firm, like what is, what is your advice to those younger women that are starting those firms? Because here's the reality. I see this all the time where I see a bunch of young men starting firms. I don't see a lot of young women starting firms and I would like to see more young women starting firms. So what is your advice to those women? So I think the advice, first of all, is to just be aware of and be confident of the talent that you have and the talent that you bring. A lot of women will often say when they're at a firm that they're lucky to be there, lucky to have this person as a mentor. The law firm is lucky to have you. They're lucky to have somebody who's like hustling at home and hustling at work and getting the job done. And then the next thing is, is, you know, to find something that is important to you, work that's important to you that you really 
are driven to do and then identify an audience that you want to serve. And it might be an all-female audience. It might be an audience that looks like you, or it might be an audience where you have a particular skill or talent or ability to be able to serve them. I mean, most of my clients are largely men or, I mean, they're, they're landowners or property owners, farmers. But, you know, I feel that the environmental work that I'm doing is very important to me. So being confident in the work that they do and then just going out and just starting, it doesn't matter. You know, there, there's always going to be some payoff. You, know, you might decide to, you know, join a firm afterwards or do something different. But I really think it's just important to to just understand what your talent is and what you bring to the table and then to just just get started and and don't and the other thing is is people are always telling people that they're not ready and I think women take that message more seriously than men and it's not really something a message that you should be listening to if you feel ready if you're ready enough to have the thought and you can see yourself doing it you're ready to go I mean you may have to you know get your ducks in a row and get your things organized but you're you're ready so I I think that they should be thinking about that because I'd like to see more women. Um, starting firms. And I think we are seeing more and that's very exciting. I love the mindset. And you had touched earlier on whether or not you need, there's people that like want to have a binder and have everything done before <laughs> they start. And then there's people who just say, I'm starting on Friday or, you know, they have to start on Friday for whatever reason. Where do you fall in that camp yourself? Like what makes you comfortable in which end of that spectrum? I find that I personally work best in the situation more of a triage situation where I've got to get something started. I have to do something. I organized the lawyer mom owner conference two years ago in the pandemic. And we had like 350 people online, 40 sponsors. And it was just something that was put together in two months because it was a goal that I could focus on. So I feel like with starting a firm for me, if I were to plan it out for six months, it would be too long. When I started my firm, I'd been laid off from my job. I had three months to find something else. And by the end of a month and a half, I could tell that I wasn't really going to find anything that I liked. So I kind of did everything in, in a month and a half. And it just kept it focused and, and more immediate because I think lawyers do suffer from analysis paralysis. I think if you think about it for a long time and plan for too long, you may not get started. I love that. So I, I'm going to squeeze in one last question. I have to. What is your thoughts on young attorneys getting experience before before launching their practice or just jumping right into lo their law practice out of law school? So, I mean, here's the thing. I think that there's always, it, it, it may depend on the practice area and it's always a good idea to have some experience. I mean, many law students now are getting experience in law school. Law schools, I think, are much better about having practice clinics. So a law student who graduates may have already worked with clients, at least in a clinic setting. They may have had jobs in the summer. I think that working for a year or two can, you know, again, depends on your financial situation. It could give you a little bit of money, a little bit of a nest egg to work. I think clerkships are a really great starter before you start a firm because it gives you, in, you get, I mean, you're basically getting educated by the hundreds of lawyers who come into the court. So I think that's all helpful. But if you don't have those opportunities and you're going to like go do document review instead of starting a firm, I mean, starting a firm hands down is the way to go because you can always watch people in courts, you know, do contract work for other attorneys to learn things. It's not that hard to pick up those those practice things. So I would say I'm marginally in favor of having a little experience, but if if you can't get it and the only other option is something non-legal, I would say just go ahead and get started. That, that's great advice. Uh, thank you for answering that. 
All right, Carolyn, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, really appreciate the time we've had with you today. So I'm going to wrap things up, though. Uh, before I do, I want to remind everyone to join us in the big Facebook group. Uh, a lot of great activity going on there. If you want a more high-level conversation, join us in the Guild. Go to maxlawguild.com. And uh, just a lot of great information being shared there, a lot of high-level stuff going on. While you're listening to the rest of this episode, if you don't mind giving us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate it. It helps spread the love to other law firm owners like you. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? Last year, I read a great book, which was one of my earlier hacks, which was The Body Keeps the Score. And I thought of it yesterday because I've been getting a weekly massage and a deep tissue for an hour and a half. And I'm starting to do that every week now. And yesterday, the massage lady pressed on my forearm and it just it released something while we were talking. And it was like, wow. So I recommend massages because we spend so much time in our head that if we're using our body exercising as we should be, that in going to a, a good massage, it can really relieve the stress and help help you address things or think about things that you might not have otherwise. Such good advice. Uh, something I've done is I've added, and maybe it's partially because of you and partially because of Christopher Nicolason. I get monthly massages, chiropractic appointments monthly, and then I hired a personal trainer. So I think like taking care of the body, taking care of the mind, super, super important. Carolyn, we always ask our guests to give a tip or a hack of the week. And uh, it could be a book, could be a podcast, could be any... In, it could be a non, you know, uh, tangible thing. So do you have a tip or a hack for us? I guess the hack or the tool that I'm enjoying most recently that probably a lot of people know about anyway is, is Loom for just very quick content creation. I mean, you can just go and record, you know, what your jurisdiction's website looks like or how to find cases. It seems something like something foreign for lawyers, but it's very easy content for potential clients and it helps to educate the public. So, and it's just very easy, very, very easy to use. I have my 10 second or 10 minute tech role. If I can't find it, figure it out in 10 minutes, I'm not going to use it. So it definitely fits in my 10 minute tech role, the loom. I love that. 10 minute tech rule. Is that what you call it's it? My, yeah. My 10 minute technology rule. If I can't figure out like what a site is about or what it does, a product does in 10 minutes, I, I just won't, I won't use it. I mean, it doesn't, I, I don't expect to master it or know all the ins and outs of it, but I mean, it's like with an iPhone. I mean, you can turn it on and you know how to use it in 10 seconds. Do you know how to use all the features? No, but at least you can like make a phone call or get on the internet. And I feel like all technology should be like that. Brilliant. I love it. I think that's a good lesson for our law practices too, though. That's that's fantastic. That's, yes. Good stuff. Mine is, is something I stumbled upon, and I don't know if it's because we upgraded our Google Workspace account or if it's a new feature, but I, I've always color-coded my calendar, and I was telling Jim about it actually last week, is I like purple is maximum lawyer. So I, I mean, I've got different, I can look at my calendar, I can see what is going on with it. But I realized, I stumbled upon this earlier this week that I can label. And again, I just upgraded workspace lighting last week. So it could be that, that feature. So you may need to upgrade for this, but in, in my uh, calendar, I can actually, I've got labels and I actually have, you all can't see it on my, because uh, it's, it's actually a tape to my computer, but I have color coded on what's on my calendar, like what it means. So I, I could reference it. I no longer have to do that because you can actually label what the colors mean. So 
light green is personal is a personal item that's on my calendar. And that, so that's what it is. Purple is, is maximum lawyer. I can look at these different things and then it actually breaks down. It gives you the, your, your time insights for your week. I, I just had a glance. I can look at it right now and see where I spend most of my time. Really, really key feature. It's awesome. Uh, so I highly recommend it. it. It's something I just stumbled upon. So it's really cool. So hopefully it helps people out if you use a Google calendar. If you don't, I mean, I, I'm sure that Outlook has some sort of similar feature, but I highly recommend color coding your calendar so you can just look at it at, at a glance and see what's going on. But Carolyn, thank you so much for coming on. Really, uh, this is something that I think is probably long overdue. Thanks for taking your time to come on. Lots of fun. A lot of great information you shared too. Thank you so much for having me. I listened to the podcast, so it's great to be able to be a guest on it now. Carolyn, if people want to find you, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, easiest way is to go to myshingle.com, my website. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, just under my name or my shingle. That's the easiest way for people to find me or just Google me. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks, Carolyn. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Have a great afternoon. Bye, guys. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.